Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Content note, gentle Scoobies, Buffy the Vampire Slayer contains heavy themes, and this episode deals with loss and grief. Hey there. So today we are journeying into one of the most impactful episodes of television ever made, season five, episode 16 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Body. We've worked really hard to honor this episode with our discussion and with the incredible contributions of many others. In today's episode, you will hear a small segment of our conversation with Jen Malkowski, who is a professor of film and media studies at Smith College with a specialization in death and dying in media. We were so moved by our conversation with Jen that we released the full interview in our main feed today alongside this episode. You'll also be hearing four poems read by our friend, author, poet, and professor at Regis University, Elise Noor. All of the information on Jen and Elise's work can be found in today's show notes. We are so honored and thankful that they spent this time with us. Next week, we're going to have a special episode, including a conversation with Angel on Top's Brittany Ashley and previously unreleased interview footage from our interview with Christine Sutherland herself. So, so excited to share this with you all as well. The following week, May 13th, we'll move into our conversation on season five, episode 17, Forever. Speaking of moving into things, hey, it's time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, never know. I to... never know where you're going to go. And it's always mm-hmm. a delight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, it's time to um, gently caress you with the results of wow. the Sexual Attention Awards from I Was Made to Love You, the previous <laughs> episode. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, pretty good, right? <laughs> These results. <laughs> okay. This is truly incredible. What a day. Uh, with 1% of the vote in fourth place, we have Xander and Robot April. Love to know who that 1% is. Love to know yeah, who you are yeah. out there. It's very nice. Uh, with 21% of the vote, a huge leap from third to, from fourth to third, we have Willow and April, the robot. Mm-hmm. 21%, third place. Okay. In second place... Disappointing Kristen mm-hmm. and deeply uh, metaphysical throuples everywhere. <laughs> Buffy and the shared entity of Ben and Glory in a semi throuple. Are you 29%? saying that there's some kind of connection? Second place between Ben and Glory. I can't. I just get this feeling that they have something to do with each other. Are they friends? Ben is glory, glorious Ben. Ben is glory, glorious Ben. In case you forget, I'll say it again. Ben is glory and glorious Ben. Okay, and then... Perhaps in the one of the most glorious moments of penetration on the entire show. <laughs> oh my god, Jenny. <laughs> Sorry, should I not say that? No, please. Uh, with 49% of the vote... First place, it's Buffy and throwing Spike through a window. Woo! Nice. 
congratulations. You are all still listeners of Buffering the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, we are going to have more news updates, including spooky news and upcoming online events inside of our full episode with Jen Malkowski, also released today. So for now, let's journey together into today's conversation. Uh, listen, we're always so in awe of the power of Buffy and how it brings us together in difficult times and around complicated issues. So we couldn't be more thankful to have you all here together with us as we honor this brilliant and powerful episode of television. Hell. Yes. Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we're watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, spoiler free, and keeping our chins up while we do it. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. I'm sorry that I'm like like lightly laughing over your somberness, Jenny. It is somber. Mm. It's somber and we are going to be somber. We all know it. We've all been bracing for it for a long time. Uh, but apparently I'm one of those people who laughs in the face of uh, grief. So <laughs> um, I am Kristen Russo. And this week we are um, uh, talking about season five, episode 16, The Body, um, probably one of the most notable episodes of television ever created um, and certainly one of, if not the best of the series. Uh, we'll talk about all of that. Uh, you should stay tuned at the end of this podcast um, every other week, but especially this week for an original song. Uh, this week, not only written by you, Jenny, um, do you want to talk? Wh why don't we just like break our format already right at the top? Um, and you can talk a little sure. bit about the song that is going to happen at the end. But also we just came out of a theme that is different that we've had in our in our um, what do you call it? Little pocket case. Glove pocket. Box. Yep. <laughs> Hope chest. Uh, security deposit box for a long mm -hmm. time. So yeah, let's talk about music for a moment. Yes, okay. So when we were first starting to think about making the podcast, there were several versions of the theme music that we tried. And this, I think, was the first one. And we just deemed it way too sad uh, for the regular theme. But we were <laughs> like, there is a very sad episode eventually we could just use it for that yeah um as like a special little thing so so this was yeah. that was what you just heard was almost the original theme song for the podcast um before it got ramped up um but yeah a fitting i think a fitting uh, tone setter for the episode and and also i feel you know um i guess to to jump for a moment back into the, the intro um, this is the one where we lose Joyce. I mean, technically, it is not the one where we lose Joyce. We, we lost Joyce at the end of the last episode. But this is the one where we move through the initial shock 
of losing Joyce. And mm. I think that there's something obviously in the theme being uh, different this week that is somber to match the tone of the episode. But I also think that it, there's something about honoring Joyce, honoring Christine Sutherland in her work, and also honoring this episode of television, um, something to set it apart from the rest, because as we will talk about at length, this episode is far set apart from the rest. Yes. And Jenny, tell us about um, about who you worked with on the song for this week. Uh, so for this week's song, I collaborated with friend of ours, friend of the pod, Saul Simon McWilliams. Hmm. I've known Saul for a long time. We went to college together, hmm. we met at music school, and um, we've collaborated here and there over the years. And he's just like really wonderful. He, he works a lot in film scoring now. That's his primary focus and that's kind of why I thought of him when we were starting to talk about the song he's worked on Beasts of Donation, uh, Digging for Fire, Beasts of the Southern Wild, mm. Far Cry 5, the video game, Chasing Coral, uh, and the television series The Good Doctor, among many other things. He's Emmy nominated, he's a total babe, and it was my divine pleasure to work with him on coming up with something that could hope to do this episode justice. Yeah. Yeah. Saul has never watched an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. except this one. So Could you sorry, imagine? Saul. Dear God. Like, what does he think the rest of the series is like? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Saul is Saul is very special. And also when we when Jenny and I were talking about this song, um, and Jenny, you brought up Saul, I was immediately like, fuck, yes, because I've heard things that you and Saul have worked on together before. And I know that um, you know, uh, People who make music as individuals and do it well, that's something. But when you find people who collaborate well together, it is just a joy to witness. And I have always felt that way about things that you've worked on with him. So we are uh, a bit of a ways from you hearing that song, but I uh, wanted to mention it up at the top. Uh, and Jenny, I've said which one this is, but we have not yet talked about who wrote and directed this episode, though I'm sure all of you know that already. Well, The Body was written and directed by... Joss, Joss, Joss. Am I saying this I'm right? Not sure. We don't. We, I think it's we Joss Whedon. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it originally aired on February twenty seventh, two thousand one. Yes. And uh, I mentioned this to you, Jenny, but. I learned during my deep research on this episode, uh, probably more research than I've done on any episode in our history, that you all watching this in real time saw the body in February, and I believe it was something like six weeks before you got the next episode forever. And I, I am so sorry. My deepest condolences to all of you for having to end on this episode and then not come back. Uh, we are not going to do that to you here. We will be talking about forever in two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> so um, don't worry. Don't worry. We will not keep you hanging at the end of this. Uh, so this episode, like all episodes, is broken into four acts. But I, I think, and I, I know you agree with me, Jenny, these acts are very, very specifically touching on different parts of this initial shock of loss. And on the, there's a, a Buffy wiki, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. And on the Buffy wiki, they titled the acts. And I, this might be the actual titles. I couldn't find um, confirmation, but I loved the titles so much that I just want to share them here. Um, act one is referred to as the daughter. Uh, act two is referred to as the sisters. Act three is referred to as the family. 
and act four is referred to as the body. So Jenny and I are going to be more demarcated than usual, and we're going to tackle each one of these acts. And um, Jenny, I'm sure that you're aware of this, and most of you probably are too, but each of these acts begins, I mean, the title of this episode is The Body, but each of these acts begins with a shot of the body. Um, and and mm. we can talk about that as we go, but uh, I think it's very powerful. The the use of of sound and music, lack of music, is so powerful. There's just so much. There's so much to talk about, um, and I think we can do that within the context of the acts themselves. Mm. Before we head into Act One, I want to tell you that as we transition into each of the four acts of this episode, you will be hearing our good friend, professor, author, poet. Elise Noor reading the work of four different poets. Each poem was selected by the three of us to usher us into that chapter of conversation. So let us get into act one. Without Music by Marie Howe. Only the car radio driving from the drugstore to the restaurant to his apartment. Rock and roll, oldies but goodies. And sometimes softly, piano music rising from the piano teacher's apartment on the first floor. Most of it happened without music. The clink of a spoon from the kitchen. Someone talking. Silence. Somebody sleeping. Someone watching somebody sleep. Okay, so the cold open of this episode may be familiar to you because... It's the end of the previous episode. Only time that that has ever been done in the series. Um, and actually, uh, the, Jenny, the only time that there was no previously on in the live, like, you know, watching it in real time. There was, oh, wow. yeah, the, the only time that there was no previously on. We just went right back into it. And when we come back from the credits, we have a flashback. It's Christmas. Everyone is like all the Scoobies are at the Summer's house eating joking, laughing, having better times than this episode is having. (laughs) There's some great uh, vomit misunderstandings. (laughs) Um, There's a whole thing with Tara and Willow and tummy rubbing, which personally I could have done without. Mm, Glad we got Uh, you to say tummy rubbing, though. Uh, A a phrase, a word combo probably most didn't expect to hear in this episode of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then... My favorite, mm, there's actually, this is like, they get all of the fun of this episode jammed into this one scene, yeah. basically. Well, and do you uh, know, we get, do you know why, Jenny, this scene oh, yeah. was put here? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell yeah, us. I wanna, well, it's two things, right? It has like the impact of like, hey, remember, mm-hmm. um, remember when things were good? Right. Uh, but it's also, you know, um, Joss talks in the commentary about how, he knew he was going to have to have like the, you know, executive producer, like all of the credits that Mm -hmm. have to roll at the beginning, like in the lower, you know, quarter of your screen at the top of an episode, he knew all those were going to be coming up. And he was like, I can't have this happening over Sarah's long shot. Right. So I think the reason that the scene was deemed necessary, that there be a scene before Sarah's long shot, was that to keep the credits over something else and then because of that you know in looking around for like what can we do what can we put together for the credits to roll over uh they ended up finding you know this scene which is like so beautiful and reminds us basically of what we've just lost 
Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful and there's so many moments, uh, smaller moments like this, but it's a beautiful way to give us this sharp contrast, um, just this very, very stark difference between what was what once was and what now is in the present moment. Uh, and and I think I mentioned that there's no music in this episode. There is uh, this scene has, um, I believe, the only music in the episode. And it's very faint. I think it's the first Noel. It's like a, a Christmas hymn sort of just right. playing very, very lightly um, underneath. Very lightly. And it also sounds like it's like behind two closed doors. It yeah. sounds like it's two rooms over. Yeah, totally. Were you going to say something funny, Jenny? Because we could we could use it. <laughs> I was going to say that I love this bit about Don not believing in Santa and <laughs> Anya saying, oh, it's a myth. And everyone's like, yeah, Santa's not. And she's like, no, no, no. It's a myth. That, that it's a myth. <laughs> it's a myth. Unfortunately, uh, the real Santa does a lot of disemboweling of children. Right. <laughs> um, but hey, it's good to know that he's out there doing whatever and that he has an amazing uh, PR person. You know, it's it's interesting, Jenny, too, like so much of this. And I even had a note up uh, in the cold open about this, like Buffy, we, we hear her say these these lines that just slay no pun intended us all where she says mom mom and then she says mommy and then we go to the credits and you know there's something in those lines where she reverts to like this childhood version of herself and I think that um loss grief death um trauma shock these things really make us go go back um to those like instinctual childlike places and so I'm I'm just now pulling that into this Christmas scene that you're talking about and you know the the myth of santa the idea of santa like it, we see like buffy is growing up in this episode in a way that she has not yet before dawn is growing up in a way that she has not yet before um we're seeing like the loss of um this childhood these these childhood notions um and i think that 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 I didn't even think about it before you said this about Santa, but I think that like as small of a line as this is, like everything in this episode is there for a reason. And the idea of Santa as this childhood myth. And now it's like, well, it wasn't a myth, right? It wasn't, it, but it, but the actual reality is when you really think about it, like it's a joke, it's funny here, but it's like this gruesome, gruesome thing. Um, and so I think mm. that there's something there too. There's something everywhere in this episode. I'm, I'm sure that many of you would agree that we could probably talk about this episode, you know, five times once a year. We won't do that to ourselves or you, but... <laughs> Um, and find, no. but we would find something, um, more in each viewing. So, um, anyway, we go to the kitchen, uh, another light moment in the kitchen, uh, which really fun, a fun throwback to band candy, uh, simpler, simpler times when the biggest problem was eating chocolate that turned everybody into teenagers. And, um, uh, <laughs> jo- ever so young. <laughs> I know. And Joyce has burned the pie. Um, another moment, right? Like it is another moment of like something that's supposed to be beautiful and it like kind of changes very quickly. And she's like sad that she burnt the pie. And then she drops it or somebody drops it. Buffy drops it. I don't know who drops it. Uh, Buffy's trying to cut it mm-hmm. and accidentally flips it off of the counter. Right. And that brings us into this 
incredible shot, which is, um, as any of you who have watched the director's commentary know, this entire shot is done handheld, which like, oh my God, standing ovation for the gentleman behind this camera, um, because he was not using, um, like a, uh, like a, what do you call it? A dolly, a rig, a thing. He wasn't, the camera was not <laughs> on wheels. It was on his freaking shoulder. So he's like kneeling down at points and standing back up at points. And, also, you know, I know we're going to talk about Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, at length, but she this is unreal, her performance in this scene. And she did this like just as in the commentary, she did this like seven fucking times. Um, yeah. So the, the to take us to the start, the pie falls and it shatters. And when it shatters, the noise just is sucked right out of your television screen. And you go to this close up on Joyce again and. That moment of dissonance, we'll see it again and again and again and again in this uh, episode. And I think um, it is so poignant. And any, I think, you know, all of us have experienced loss of some kind. And um, I just, if it's all right with you, Jenny, would love to talk about an experience that I had with um, with my mom uh, over mm. 10 years ago. Because it, you know, I it, a lot of it comes up for me in watching this episode. When I was 21, um, my mom went into just have her gallbladder removed. It was a very simple procedure. It's a very standard procedure. But something happened in the surgery that went wrong. And without going into like all of the nitty gritty, um, she wound up going back into emergency surgery about two days later. Um, and the surgery was like seven hours long. It was very, very traumatic. And when she came out, she um, was, it didn't look like she was going to pull through. She was in intensive care for six weeks. She was on a respirator. Um, and we, it got to the point where we all were told to say our goodbyes and we did. Um, and you know, th there are so many memories that I have of that experience. Um, and m mine ended in this, it, this way. It's funny, like, right. We see in this episode, these moments where Buffy sees these flashes, these fantasies of like it going a different way. And, and sometimes when I think about what happened with my mom, it almost feels like that. Like, like I'm living this alternate reality because it wasn't supposed to be this way. She wasn't supposed to be alive according to everyone, but suddenly mm. she like, turned the corner and you know her respirator which was at like 80 or 90 percent oxygen was able to start coming down and down and down and down and then they were able to like you know take her out of like the the coma medically induced coma that she was in and we were able to talk to her um and so you know there's going to be a few moments in our discussion of this episode where i reference this um and the first one is this dissonance of seeing something like you know this memory of christmas and then opening your eyes and seeing what's actually in front of you um and and not being able to reconcile those things they don't make sense together none of it makes sense none of it ever makes sense and that's like one of the underlying themes of the whole episode and for me and this is something that like i you know have talked about before maybe even on this podcast but one of the things that i remember the most uh, about the experience of near to losing my own mom was that she, before she went in for this surgery, the first surgery she had been in like Myrtle, my sister used to go to Myrtle beach every year, um, as like a middle schooler. And my sister had gone to Myrtle beach with my parents and my mom had like this wonderful pedicure. And so I just like, I couldn't get over it, and I've never, ever lost the image of her perfectly pedicured toes in this room that was full of like, you know, just horror for all of us, um, that like amidst it all, 
these perfectly painted toes were just like there in the bed. Um, and you know, I think any, any of you who have experienced any kind of loss or, or, um, experienced anything like this, I probably have moments like this where it's just like, you cannot make sense of it because it doesn't make sense. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like this whole episode, right? Yeah. Uh, you want to just stop there? Call it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> thank you. And that is our episode on the body. <laughs> um, thank you for, for listening to my story about my mom's toes. Another thing you probably did not think that we would be talking about in this episode, but here we are. Oh, any distracting port in a storm. <laughs> so we've got, you know, mom, 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 mom. Maybe if I scream, my mom will wake up. And Buffy walks to the kitchen and uh, gets the phone, right, to call 911. Yes. The operator instructs her to try CPR, which she knows. And we get this, like, very disturbing moment while she's um, compressing Joyce's uh, chest where maybe, like, a rib cracks or something. Yeah. Loudly. Definitely. And, you know... We'll talk about the. There's a lot of moments that were intentionally put in this episode to underline the like um, upsetting physicality of death, right? I mean, the whole freaking thing mm-hmm. is called the body. Um, and there are things that Joss talks about having specifically put in this being one of them to underline that. That like there, this is so like um, I'll use the word grotesquely, though I'm not sure it's the right one. Um, like, but, but so grotesquely physical. Um, and, and this is one, and, and Jenny, I wrote down this note in, in this moment where the rib cracked as well, because I also think that it's, Maybe anyone doing this would would crack a rib. I mean, the nine one one operator doesn't seem you know surprised by it at all. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But I also think that um, you know the a, the fact that Buffy has this strength is usually her asset. And I just thought like it, there there might be something here too about the fact that this this episode is so different than any other episode because it is so outside of the realm of the supernatural that you don't even know where you are anymore. Um, you do, you, you know, and, and I think that, that for Buffy, literally all these powers she has, she's one girl in all the world and it doesn't fucking matter. And, and in this moment, it's even possibly hindering her. Her strength is not only not helping her, but it's just like possibly hurt her mom even more, uh, than, than she was already again, she's not alive, but again, potentially hurt. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think like something else that I think is interesting that kind of relates to what you just said is, is, is it's like a branch on the tree of what you just said is that like this episode reduces Buffy like a uh, those those powers don't matter Mm -hmm. you know her strength doesn't matter or is possibly a hindrance but like this is the most human Mm -hmm. Buffy ever gets Mm -hmm. and this is the unbeatable foe right like (laughs) there is no winning against death Mm -hmm. it's not something she can fight or deal with But it's also interesting that, like, she can't combat this, but the Scoobies still rally around her. Like, they kind of, like, have the same structural Mm. 
purpose. I think they, I think they find that, right? Like it's like, (laughs) they're like lost at the start, but I think, yeah, they are right. They, they can still, and that's like, you know, and we'll talk about it more, but that's like kind of where Xander gets, right? That's what we do. We help Buffy. Right. Um, Right. Right. So yeah, you're right. Um, It's they, they can find their purpose, but I guess, yeah, she can't because what is her purpose? And also, you know, when you think about Buffy and the the creation of Buffy, like literally, her mom is such a part of her and such a part of what has made her her that um, mm-hmm. she's she's losing her, but she's also losing this like huge part of herself of what has given her herself. Um, there's all the mystical, there's all the magical. Did that come from Joyce? No. Um, well, who knows? <laughs> but probably. Yeah, not. I was just thinking. Now that we are forced to think about losing Joyce it's like making me kind of reflect on her in ways that I haven't before and I wonder if Mm. if okay so I wonder if Joyce ever had an experience where she wondered if Buffy being the Slayer had anything to do with her right you know any kind of like hereditary nature or even nurture Mm -hmm. like something that never gets explored but it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And like, right. That's why I kind of like uh, hesitated for a second when I said, well, she doesn't have anything to do with the magical or mystical. It's like, well, does she though? Like she did, mm-hmm. you know, she, she is one would imagine uh, 50% of the DNA in the body of Buffy Summers. So right. what is it about a slayer that makes a slayer chosen? And does it have anything to do with their um, like ancestry, you know, or their, mm-hmm. um, their DNA, their genetics? Anyhow, um, Buffy is still on this call and um, we get the line from the 911 dispatcher. Um, You know, Buffy says she's cold and the dispatcher says the body is cold and and Buffy says, no, my mom. Um, And and this, I think, is really important and powerful because we're seeing, I mean, from moment one to uh, the end of this episode, we are seeing our titular character in shock. There is not a moment of this episode where Buffy is not in shock. You know, sometimes I think I've I've used the word like grief and loss, but um, we don't see grief here um, unless you want to count that initial shock as part of the grieving process. But she she is not present um, in, in any kind of way where she's having like emotional responses that someone outside of shock would have. Um, and mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. she is aware on one hand that her mom is not there and completely unaware that her mom is not there. Um, and uh, she gets off the phone and she calls Giles. And this phone shot. Mm. This phone shot. This like, it starts as a very close up of the phone keypad. And kids, <laughs> this is what we used to communicate with each other before we had iPhones. Yeah, it sounded like beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, yeah. boop. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I love how this looks and feels like you're in her body when yes. you see this shot. And it's like a slow, kind of scary zoom. Yeah. Like really slow. The phone just like slightly getting closer and closer. Yeah. Um, Joss says in the commentary um, to me, to him, that's the moment that Buffy realizes her mom is dead. Um, like looking at the phone, just like in that mm. moment. 
um, which is probably sort of, and it's also that phone, the button shot uh, is the first cut from that really long camera shot. So up until that moment, we've been in one long shot with Buffy. Oof. Yeah, incredible, really incredible. And um, Brutal. Jenny, you mentioned feeling like you're inside of, of like you, you feel like you are Buffy. And what's really interesting yeah. is her looking at those phone buttons is really the only time we get like a POV shot from her in this entire first act. Um, we see her looking a lot, right? She's like looking out the window. She's looking out the back door. Um, but right. we don't see from her. And I think so much. I thought a lot about um, House of Leaves watching this episode. Mm. It, it, I think a lot of you are familiar with the book. Jenny, I know you are because you're the reason I read it. Um, but House of Leaves is a book, uh, the only book I've ever read like this, where you're, you know, it's about a haunted house to really oversimplify it. But essentially the book is written so that um, as the house is becoming more and more of a presence in these people's lives, you are having to um, flip the book upside down to read these crazy footnotes or twist it around in a circle to read the words that are written in a circle. And and the what happens is as the reader, you are experiencing some of the frustration and horror of the characters literally because you're doing these things as you read. Uh, and, you know, obviously this is television. It's a different format. But I do feel like so much of what happens in this episode is put to us to make us face our shit about death um, because it, the, the removal of music is one huge place where that's done, right? They, they are not oh, yeah. giving us the ability to lean on some strings or some piano and be like, oh, this is what we're supposed to feel. They are leaving us with this silence uh, and, and we fill that in as humans. That's just what yeah. humans do. Ooh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyhow. So she figures out the phone and we hear Giles answer and she just says, Giles, you have to come. She's at the house and hangs up. Yes. And of course, Ooh, of course, Giles. A call you never want to get from. Right. But Giles has no, I mean, Giles thinks, Giles thinks we're in just another episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like we all did. He you know, know he has no idea. Uh, and, and then we get this um, moment with Joyce's skirt which is another one of these like um, uh, dissonant moments of, of the things we mm. think about. And also I think like a, um, a physicality moment, another like my mom's like underwear might be showing and that can't be when the paramedics get here. It's like if you wrote that down on paper, that none of it makes any sense. But in the moment, you're like still trying to hold on to what's logical and what you would normally prioritize. But the world has flipped upside down. So how does any of mm -hmm. it mean anything? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, the paramedics arrive and they're even I know that like whatever they, this is this episode is not about the paramedics, but they are so even their responses are so drastically different um, as they're talking or not talking to Buffy, you know, like one of them is so much more compassionate and gentle with her. And the other one is just so removed and um, medical and mathematical about it. Hmm. Do you think that um, that's due to what's actually going on in the reality of the scene? Or do you feel like that's like mm. partially Buffy's interpretation? Mm, because like the one is talking to her and the other one isn't that like we're getting a bit of um, her experience. I mean, we are right. Like 
the camera, the way that the camera shots are chosen in in this scene are so much so to show us what Buffy is experiencing. So I think that that's a good a hunch um, in terms of like what we're seeing from them because we don't even see the the paramedic who talks to her and tells her about her mom. We only see his mouth for the most part. We see his face for a brief second, but mostly he's you know, he's out of focus, they're out of focus because yeah, that's what she's experiencing. Right, right, right. The sound design is brilliant in this whole episode. And this is like one of those moments where we're hearing things we would not normally hear in an episode of television. It's like, you know, we're hearing like the bag be set down on the floor and the tube be pulled out and the clinking and the clinking and um, all of that just puts us there. It really is so environmental. Yeah. yeah. And um, we get this sort of panic by proxy like this this uh moment where one of the paramedic paramedics says i'm bagging her and Buffy's mm. like, what and we're all like what mm-hmm. uh those of us who aren't paramedics of course if you're a paramedic and you're listening stop writing your email we get it um i have a, a slight anecdote to take us to a fun place for a moment that has to do with this uh that you just reminded me of jenny um which is when i was four i think i got my ears pierced my mom took me to the counter and the um, man behind the counter said he just had to get the gun uh and i mm. <laughs> was like literally you, you disappeared in a cloud of dust was ex- left in your place <laughs> yes I was like stricken. I was like, the gun. I didn't know that's how you got your ears pierced. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyhow, uh, that was your moment of levity. Back to death. Um, Okay, so the paramedics are working on Joyce and we get the first of two of these like fantasy moments, right? Where Buffy is imagining what it could have been if, and, and she really uh, is holding on to, and we'll see how this impacts her as the, you know, series continues. But in this episode, there's a massive theme of her feeling like if she had just gotten there sooner, like I, why, right. She wasn't there. And, and if you think back to the last four and a half seasons of this show, I mean, I just had this memory of like faith in Joyce's room being like, your fucking daughter is not going to help you. And Buffy busting through like that is her role. She's always there in time. That's what the show has taught us again and again and Mm -hmm. again. And if you Mm -hmm. put yourself like inside the universe of the show, Buffy, it feels like that to her, too. I'm sure that like she always makes sure that she's there. Even when you think it's not going to work, it works. She figures it out. And so she is just underneath the fact that she was not there and that she could not help and that she did not help. And what if she had gotten there sooner? Yeah. I love to this just before this fantasy sequence, when the paramedics are asking her various questions and Buffy is like fast talking and explaining and like, just trying to like, she's obviously of course in shock, but also it feels like, you know, she thinks like if I can just answer their questions right and like explain yeah. to them that she, she's been fine, you know, yes. that she should be fine, that then she'll be fine. Right, right. Oof, you know, that one gave me the chills. Thank you, Jenny. Here to help. Um. <laughs> and these these like, sh- man, these shots, these oh, close, beautiful. close shots of the machine on the ground and the different like sections of the paramedics bodies and, and mm. when it finally comes time for them to call it and and one of the paramedics approaches her and tells her that Joyce is gone this framing where they've chosen to like crop out his eyes mm-hmm. on when they can't you know they do this uh I think it's called a two shot 
uh, where they do like, you know, over one shoulder and then over the other other. person's shoulder, you know, and then they cut it together to make a conversation. When we get Buffy looking at him in the two shot, he's cropped out and it's like, you know, obviously she's just like kind of like staring into the middle distance that happens to be around his like chest, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then when we get the other perspective, he's his shoulder is just like his out of focus shoulder is just like taking up most of the screen and Buffy is just like crammed in on the side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Joss talks about that in the commentary too, right? That like he sort of was seeing the shot as it was happening and was like, Ooh, let's push this as far as we can push it because there is something so visually fucked up about like how little space she has in there. Um, so, I mean, th- this episode, you know, you mentioned that Saul who worked on the song with you is an Emmy nominated musician, uh, which made me realize that we should point out that this was not this did not win an Emmy. This is, I mean, this is my experience of this episode. Uh, Jenny, when you showed it to me for the first time many years ago, I was like, I have not ever seen an episode of television this powerful ever, not Buffy of TV ever. And I'm definitely not alone in that opinion. Um, critics, you know, the world round have discussed the power of this episode. Um, the fact that it didn't get its, you know, award nods is I think rooted in the place of like genre shows often getting overlooked in things like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. hot damned this episode, this episode deserves a truck full of awards. Um, for everything from the cinematography to the writing to the acting. I mean, just every facet of it is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So as the paramedics leave, Buffy, in another moment of dissonance, says good luck to them out the windows, like, you know, at the door. She's just like, uh, good luck on your next journey. Like, I, she doesn't know what she's saying. And I I can relate to this yeah. so deeply, right? That's like when you're just in shock and you do not know what words make sense. Mm-hmm. The paramedic also tells her, while she waits for the coroner's office to show up and collect Joyce, try not to disturb the body. Yes. Okay, A, try not to disturb the body. B, when someone dies in their home and the paramedics come and can't revive them, they just chill mm. there until the coroner can come pick them up. That is brutal. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and that's the thing, right? And like, I know that we're in the first act still, but a lot of, I think, the bigger things are going to come out in the beginning. It's like that, you know, that is kind of what the purpose of this episode was intended for was to like force the audience to sit with the reality of death instead of what we usually get in television, which is the fantasy of death. Um, and right. It's like, yeah, what there's a-, a lesson. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, I don't know that. Right. Joss didn't really want to teach us a lesson necessarily, but I do think. No, that- I'm, I'm saying the fantasy of death is that there's a lesson. Oh yes, exactly. Exactly. And then the reality is you know, we get later, we get paperwork and like, you know, having experienced Mm -hmm. loss myself and also being close to people who have experienced loss, like there's this whole side of, of shock and grief, but then there's this entirely other side of, of like equal measure of logistics and of reality and of like life keeps going on and what the fuck, like it, it really is just mind numbingly overwhelming. And I think most of you probably know this, but, but, you know, uh, Joss lost his mom in a car crash at a young age. And so had, Mm. you know, his own experiences of, um, sudden loss and having to suddenly come to terms with 
the um i think he refers to it as like boring right like the almost boring first few hours of post death we get buffy still waiting for giles to show up walking through the house in kind of a daze and then almost like absent-mindedly throwing up Mm -hmm. uh on a carpet in a room we've never seen before yeah and the room is like this again contrast of like she is just thrown up on the floor but and that's happening in like the bottom quadrant of the screen but then like the top quadrant of the screen we have like sunlight pouring through the windows wind blowing through chimes we hear outside children we hear outside and it's like again the sounds of life going on outside right and like and that's just the fact of it right inexplicably life continues inexplicably no matter what the horror is that you're experiencing in your own life outside of your home outside of your you know metaphorically or literally it just keeps going it just keeps Mm -hmm. going Uh, and also I think that it's, what's really powerful about this episode is most of it is done in real time, you know, like there is a special care taken to the way that this is shot where we are following her every move. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, she, she walks outside. Her face is sort of like clammy is the word that comes to my mind when I think about it. Um, and walks back in sweaty. Yeah. She walks back inside. She gets paper towels absentmindedly. She's cleaning up. Uh, the throw up that just just happened in this other room when Giles gets there. Even the way that this paper towel absorbing moisture is shot is like, whoa. Right? Yeah. And then the deliberate choice to keep Giles so far down the hall Mm -hmm. from Buffy, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, He thinks it's Glory, of course, right away. But then he sees Joyce on the floor in the living room and and runs by her and and Buffy's like... Wait, 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 wait. We're not supposed to move the body. And then she Ugh. she claps her hand over her mouth, trying to, I think, kind of push Put it back in. Those words back in. Yeah. Yeah. And like, Whew. you know, I know, obviously, uh, I'm not the person who created this episode. And the person who did create this episode said that like his his view of it is that the moment that she realizes her mom is dead is when she is looking at that phone. I would counter that I mm-hmm. think it could also be considered this moment um, because it is a moment when her brain is five paces um, past her experience. And so her brain has referred to um, her mom as the body and that horror of um, realization, I think also is like sh- she's realizing the loss and she's with, mm. you know, and she's with her other parental figure um you know these the, the there are four acts in this uh, episode and the one with the the scooby is the one with the family that is not the one where we see the most of giles the one where we see the most of giles is actually this first uh act and then the, the final act and i think that it's really uh, notable that giles is included in this act where the only other people apart from the paramedics are buffy and joyce because giles is i mean you know giles is her dad Memorial by Audre Lorde If you come as softly as the wind within the trees, you may hear what I hear, see what sorrow sees. If you come as lightly as threading dew, I will take you gladly, nor ask more of you. You may sit beside me, silent as a breath. Only those who stay dead shall remember death. 
and if you come, I will be silent, nor speak harsh words to you. I will not ask you why now, or how, or what you do. We shall sit here softly, beneath two different years, and the rich between us shall drink our tears. Okay, coming into the second act. Yes, and notably we see, right, Joyce again. Joyce being zipped into a body bag. Uh, they say this on the yeah. commentary. I thought this was like just a fun technical thing, but you know, poor Christine Sutherland <laughs> <laughs> lying around for eight days holding very still. Yes. And what's like really cool technologically speaking, but also really fucking creepy is that um, this scene where she's being zipped into the bag was the only time when she blinked, I guess. And so the, <laughs> they digitally took it out. They like, they, they, basically put her eyes over the blink so that we don't see her blink, um, which is like really cool, but also. Yeah. Very, very Twilight Zone. Yeah. Um, right. And so, and this act is, as I talked about at the top, this is called the sisters because this is where um, the primary focus is Dawn and Buffy telling Dawn. <laughs> I had, you know, Buffy and I are basically the same age um, as are you, Jenny, and I have a little sister. Um, and my uh, Buffy is what twenty twenty one in this um, season, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, which mm -hmm. was my age when I, you know, said goodbye to my mom. And uh, my sister was Dawn's age. Uh, is the same that we were the same exact places, except for my sister was not a mystical key, to my knowledge. Honest to God, she mm -hmm. fucking could be, if we really think about it. <laughs> Definitely mystical. <laughs> But um, my sister was kept in the dark with a lot of my experience, and I very much took on the role of parent instantly, instantly. And um, we don't mm. we don't see that like a ton, but I think that like Buffy, Buffy is in shock, and yet she has still gotten herself to the school. She has walked into the classroom, and she is tasked with telling Dawn this information. And obviously, we'll backtrack because that's not how the scene begins. But just like a note that like I personally related to this so much so too, um, because I had to call my sister's school and be like, "Hi," and you know, you think you're so old when you're 2021. 20, like, a, and I guess you are when you're losing a parent. But like, you know, I was just like, "Hey, my sister's in school," and like, I just want you to know that we're like losing my mom she's in intensive care and like if my sister's not doing so well like that's why so blah 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 like just doing these like logistical Jesus. fucking things you know but anyway that's not how this begins it begins in a lovely uh bathroom scene reminds me of my so-called life all their bathroom scenes <laughs> mm -hmm. so much happens in middle school and high school bathrooms on television and I have to tell you that like nothing happened in bathrooms for me when I was in high school and middle school <laughs> Yeah, nothing for me either. Veronica Mars does a lot of her business in what we dubbed the toilet office on yeah. BMI. Uh, she's always taking cases in there. Okay, so this intro to Dawn, really designed to be like a tidy little fake out. Joyce being zipped into the bag, cut to Dawn crying in the bathroom. Her friend saying, it's not that bad. And Dawn saying, how can you say that? Right. <laughs> of course... She's talking about how some boy named Kevin called her freaky. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which I agree with her friend here. You know, freaky doesn't have to mean bad. And we learn that Kevin actually thinks she's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, we do. We get there eventually. But first we have to kind of get through this like little chat with her friend Lisa. And 
They get through this whole conversation and deem themselves ready to leave the bathroom. Dawn's been crying, but she kind of splashes some water on her face. They have to walk past this. What's this girl's name? Uh, her name is Kirsty, and she is like the new uh, Cordelia Harmony ringleader of her own cordettes at this middle school. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they've got to walk past Kirsty, the new Cordelia. And um, <laughs> I and mean, she, they... Kirsty could only hope to be the new Cordelia, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, and and then they head into art class and it's figure drawing. They're drawing, are you ready? The negative space mm. around a woman's body. Hmm. Yeah. So um, we have we're putting up two episodes um, because we had this incredible, incredible opportunity to speak with Jen Malkowski. Uh, Jen reached out to us a couple of months ago um, and we're putting up the whole conversation because it's just I, I was able to speak with Jen and it was such a moving conversation that I want you to all be able to listen to it, like right on the heels of this if you want to. Um, but we're going to put a little bit of um, the conversation here. And this is a segment um, about this negative space conversation. Uh, Jen is, just so you have a little bit of reference, a professor of film and media studies at Smith College with a specialization in death and dying in media. Uh, they published a book about the digital age expansion of documentary recordings of death and regularly teach a seminar at Smith College about death and violence in film and TV. On top of that all... Jen is queer, non-binary, and a lifelong Buffy fan. Uh, so as you can tell, like possibly the perfect person to speak to uh, about this episode. And so let's go over to uh, my conversation with Jen that uh, this piece focuses on this negative space, this drawing of negative mm -hmm. space around a body. nothing in uh, a Joss Whedon episode is there by accident. So even in the kind of what seems like a very throwaway plot about Dawn being at school and having her crush and she's in an art class, but, you know, listen to what the lecture is. It's not a lecture exactly, but the what the teacher is saying. Um, she's talking about, we're going to draw this statue of a woman's body, no coincidence there, and we're mm -hmm. looking at the negative space around the object, right? Not the object itself, but the space around it. And I think that's really the mission statement for this episode, right? To kind of look at process as that body materializes, what's happening around it, what's happening to, you know, this initial emotional journey of several characters that we've come to know so well over the years, that kind of negative space um, around the body uh, you know, what an individual death means, really, uh, in the context of a show that's given us hundreds and hundreds of deaths, most of which mean nothing at all. I, I wonder, uh, sort of on behalf of the people listening and myself, what you think this episode can give to us, right? That, like, it's hard to watch, but how can we use it to... Um, reflect positively on this experience that we mm. do all wrestle with, that we do all face. And maybe that's putting too much on you. I don't know. No, <laughs> no I, I actually, I have two answers to that. Um, one of them ties back to that scene I was talking about with Dawn. And it always struck mm -hmm. me when I watched this episode right from the beginning, we don't actually fully see the moment that Buffy tells Dawn this news, right? Which I was, mm -hmm. dread. I mean, you, you kind of dread that, but also that's 
that's the real like emotional heart of you know films and and tv about death right this kind of like oh god that moment you get this horrible news the kind of um distraught awful emotion around it um Mm -hmm. and it's surprising i think that we watch that exchange muffled we don't hear the sound really we're inside the art class with these other students and teachers we've never seen before and i i think never see again maybe some of them we see again Um, but no (laughs) one we care about right Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're put back with these nobodies who are just watching this happen Mm -hmm. to Dawn and can't even really hear it. And it's this, um, strange moment stylistically, but I think that move, um, that the show makes at that moment highlights our role as voyeurs really in the pain of others. It asks Mm -hmm. us to think about why are we drawn to stories about death and grief? Like what role do these stories serve in our lives and why does it make it Mm -hmm. so uncomfortable for us when we see those things represented a little more realistically like they are in this episode than the way we usually see death in film and media. Um, You know, but as I said, I think they do serve a role. Film and TV shows for most of us are rehearsals for our own losses, right? When they're about death, Um, the experiences we're going to go through losing people we care about um, and eventually for our own deaths. I mean, if we, where do we learn how to die? I mean, physically, it's easy. You don't have any control over it. But I think, right. you know, emotionally and interpersonally, where do we learn those skills? Um, because the deaths of people around us are often really far removed um, at this point in our history. It used to be really different in the 19th century um, people would go to the deathbeds of their neighbors, right? They would, like, go next door to the farmhouse and actually visit with their dying neighbor. Can you imagine doing that today? It's such a strange um, idea because we've really pushed uh, the process of dying out of view Mm -hmm. for the most part. So, you know, but but we have to get these lessons somewhere. Um, And I think an episode like this, uh, has the potential to help uh, help a lot of us in that sense. But my second answer to this, um, I revisited Joss Whedon's commentary track. Uh, it's transcribed online for anybody who wants to see it. Uh, about this episode, I was curious what he had said about it. And, and he says something really devastating here. Um, and it's kind of a longer quotation, but I'll just read it out. He says, My experience of death is that, apart from a lot of hugging at funerals, it seldom brings people together. It actually tears them apart. And I had always learned from TV that a death made everybody stronger and better and learn about themselves. And my experience was that an important piece had been taken out of the puzzle, amongst my family or friends or whomever it was, and that that piece would never be replaced and people would never be the same, and that there is no glorious payoff. There are sometimes revelations and lessons that are useful. You have to take something out of it because it's inevitable. But, you know, from him, (laughs) uh, you know, one of the one of the makers behind this episode, uh, it's a pretty dark (laughs) message. Right. So I'm not. I really set you up for that, didn't I? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what can you get from it, Kristen? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) I, you know, I'm I'm not personally in the camp of uh, I'm all about the death of the author. Media isn't, you know, just because Joss Whedon Mm -hmm. says, don't take anything from this. (laughs) 
<laughs> death is terrible. <laughs> There's no upside. Uh, you know, we we have our own interpretations, and and that's how uh, that's how meaning is created. It's the interaction yeah. between maker and audience, and and all kinds of other voices like yours and Jenny's. Uh, in how we interpret what we see. Um, but I thought I would share that that particularly grim um, statement <laughs> from the, the person who wrote and directed this Well, episode. you know, what's interesting, and maybe, you know, I mean, I am notoriously sort of, no matter how old I get, I, I just can't seem to fully take off my rose-colored glasses. But <laughs> um, I, I do think that, like, there is a bit of a parallel between those two things, between what you're saying and what mm-hmm. he's saying. And, the, and I think that for me, the, the thing that really jumped out in the moment that I got chills when you were talking was when you said, like, we sort of, like need to practice. We need rehearsal. We need, we need some way to do this. And I think that, you know, I I can't put um, meaning on what Joss was saying in the commentary here, but I think that that's sort of also the point that like, there isn't a larger meaning. There isn't a big thing. There isn't, you're not going to become like a better person or unlock the mysteries or what have you that, Mm -hmm. that maybe at the end of the day, we just need to be able to sit with this. We need to be able to look at it. We need to be able to look at what it really is and what it really feels like when we do lose people and when we face death ourselves. Um, And I think when, when the people we care about lose people, I mean, because yes. ultimately learning about death, thinking about death, sitting with your own mortality and the mortality of everyone around you, it's, it's also about taking care of the people you love because you're going to want to be there for folks who are going through this. And if you have so much discomfort and so little experience um, thinking about these issues, you, you're not going to be able to show up for those folks in the way that you would want to. Yeah, I just was recently having a conversation with somebody about this, not even related to death, but just loss in general, the losses that Mm -hmm. we um, walk through in our lives. And um, the conversation I was having was with somebody else who had gone through a divorce, which is its own loss. And um, she came to me in the wake of my divorce because she had just started going through her own divorce. And Mm -hmm. um, she said, you know, the way that you were able to connect with me was so powerful. And I said, well, yeah, because I was able to look at you and say, this is awful. (laughs) I wasn't (laughs) trying, right? Like I wasn't trying to make it. um, Mm. I wasn't trying to tell you, you were going to get something out of it or that it was going to be okay or that like whatever, because, and and I think that, you know, and the reason I bring it up is because I think that that's also when we say practice and rehearse and familiarize, it's like the ability to look at somebody who has suffered a loss. And and in in our context, we're talking about death um, and to, and to really say like, you know what? No, it's not okay. Like it's not. And there might, not be a big lesson. It might just hurt. Um, but I, but I know some of that hurt and I can like share some of that with you. I can, I can let you know that I see you. Um, I think that's, that's a powerful thing that we can take from, you know, obviously our own losses, but also from this episode of television. Definitely. And if you think about it, I mean, there are so few universals in human life, really. I mean, there's all kinds of things we are told are universal and and many of us know they're really not. Um, but this is one of them. We're all going to die and we're all going to experience loss. Um, this is something that really brings us together, you know, as as a people. Um, but it's rare that we actually feel that way about it, that we feel connected and together in these experiences. Um, and I, I think the best thing, you know, an episode of TV like this can do that's that's really not there to entertain us in the way that Buffy is usually there to entertain us. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. is to, to help us get better 
um, at connecting through loss and at reckoning with, you know, this thing that we all share. Thank you, Jen, so much. I cannot, cannot encourage you enough to listen to the full conversation that we had because uh, I've listened to it like three times at this point. And every time I'm just like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> Jen, do you want to make a podcast? Because you fucking rule. <laughs> I would listen to you talk all day long every day. OK, um, so so, yeah, there's a lot happening um, in every aspect of this. And I think that, you know, uh, part of what we come to as Buffy arrives is this like, oh, this awful moment, you know, when you like know something is horribly wrong, but you don't know what it is yet. Is there anything right. worse? But I, there isn't, right? It's pretty bad. But before we get there, I think that it's considerate and also cruel of the show to give us some more levity. To give us a window into like, ah, yes, yeah. business as usual, yeah. teen drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dawn is like worried about what this cute boy thinks of her. And then she like, you know, is at an easel next to him. And they're like having a conversation that kind of reveals that, you know, he might be, uh, you know, fond of her. That like they're they're relating. It's like nice and then you see lisa holding up in the background <laughs> uh she's written he wants you huge on her too, on her sketch pad uh, way too big this is way too risky uh wait 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 wait, wait. danger will robinson <laughs> yeah and um and then then it really starts to take off when kevin reveals that he thinks kirsty sucks <laughs> and don starts telling the story about how they were reading uh, a tome called the annals of history and Kirsty didn't know how to pronounce annals so she said and then there's Buffy yeah we don't get the fight we don't even get the anal joke god damn it um no no that's the kind of joke that where you don't need to get to the punchline it kind of <laughs> announces itself right um yeah and you know I just I have like just a little piece of commentary about I kind of have commentary about the commentary <laughs> Mm, uh, but like because because Joss and also I think us uh, you know so many people talk about this as this you know um, the problems you think you have um, before you're experiencing um, death like this right like and that is a true experience like I remember mm. experiencing that with my mom it was like one moment I was like waiting tables uh, about to watch the, the series fina- or season finale of su- the first season of Survivor like so fucking stoked and then the next minute I was like literally why did I care about anything I don't care about school I don't care about my job I don't care about television I need to get home now nothing else matters so there is yeah full truth in the difference of like your priorities um, in these moments. But when we see Don talking to Kevin, right, he brings up the, I don't know what kinds of conversations Don has had about cutting and self-harm or like how this has become knowledge past, you know, her own knowledge, but she's talking to him about how things have gotten really intense for her. And Kevin is like really, really picking up what she's putting down. And so I, I hesitate to just say like, she was just lost in the trivial things of being a kid because she really, the, the things that she's talking about are, are anything but trivial. Don is learned just a couple of episodes ago that she's a mystical fucking key. She doesn't know her origin story. She's trying to connect with somebody. So I know that there is that, um, 
oh, what you thought were problems. And that's why that's there. But I just want to say that I think that there is a bit of depth to what Don is working through with Kevin here, even though it is not the same as what happens when Buffy walks in the door. I think it's also interesting that they, ch- I mean, it it makes a lot of sense, I guess, in the sort of like scheme of what's going on in this episode and what goes on in high school mm-hmm. that they would like return to mentioning this because this is the only other time this yes. comes up, right? Yes, it is. That they would A, choose to touch on it in this episode and B, that they would choose to touch on it again and then never again. It's just like... right. I mean, I, I, I just think that like, and I'm, you know, as always email us, uh, buffering the vampire slayer at gmail.com with your thoughts. But I just am, am, um, I struggle with why they didn't choose to actually make this more, um, you know, simple. Like, why wasn't it just that Kevin had called her freaky and like, you know, that he had a crush on her? Like, there was a choice to make this about her life becoming really intense. So like, it seems like there's something there that I have not heard discussion on, but is is pinging around inside of my brain. Mm. So anyway, uh, then right, this moment of of, um, Buffy saying Dawn's name and everyone in the classroom, even um, the teacher, most notably, perhaps, but uh, really recognizing that something horrible. Ha- your your older sister does not walk into a classroom and call your name in the middle of you drawing a fucking figure unless something absolutely horrible has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and this scene, you know, and this is part of the commentary too, but like this scene was filmed every which way of Dawn and Buffy having the conversation where, where Buffy is telling her this. And, and ultimately what was used is what we see here um, where we hear almost nothing. We, we are like back as Jenny was even saying, like we are back with the people watching this. Um, and yeah. it's, it's devastating. And Michelle Trachtenberg, you know, like obviously we've talked about Sarah Michelle Geller, and I mean so many people in this fucking app. We're about to turn the corner to like Willow and Anya. Don't even get me fucking started. Um, but like the the acting from Michelle Trachtenberg is unbelievable. Yeah, she collapses and she tells us everything we need to know from behind, you know, sound muffling glass and from from 20 paces right well and this is like because this is a um, again i hesitate with the word grief but this is a shock this is a moment this is a trauma that is big enough to be communicated through glass right you don't mm. need you don't need the words to see and that's like it, it kind of connects to the notion that there are things that humans can experience together without needing words, um, without needing language. Uh, you know, if I speak this language and you speak another language and we can't understand each other, there are still certain things that we can communicate very clearly. Um, and, and this kind of loss, this kind of trauma is one of those things. You know what is happening. I don't need to tell you. You can see it because you are also human. Um, and these are universal experiences. They're, as Tara will point out, like everyone experiences them differently. But um, we all are alive and we all will die and we Mm. all experience loss. And that is universal Uh, and that is powerful. And that's why this fucking episode is so powerful, because it actually harnesses that. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Just really heavy breathing through this whole episode. You know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) Okay, so coming out of the second act, 
we end on um, another body. This is the body that Dawn has drawn. Um, and that is the last shot of Act Two uh, as we leave to head into Act Three. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Making a Fist by Naomi Shihab Nye We forget that we are all dead men conversing with dead men. Jorge Luis Borges For the first time, On the road north of Tampico, I felt the life sliding out of me, a drum in the desert harder and harder to hear. I was seven. I lay in the car watching palm trees swirl a sickening pattern past the glass. My stomach was a melon split wide inside my skin. How do you know if you were going to die? I begged my mother. We have been traveling for days. With strange confidence, she answered, when you can no longer make a fist. Years later, I smile to think of that journey, the borders we must cross separately, stamped with our unanswerable woes. I, who did not die, who am still living, still lying in the back seat behind all my questions, clenching and opening one small hand. Woof. <laughs> Woof is right. Act three begins again, as each act does, on Joyce. Um, I find this this scene to be um, powerful in connection with uh, the scene in act one where Buffy is pulled down Joyce's skirt to kind of cover her body because this scene begins with Joyce and she's now at the morgue in the hospital um, pre-autopsy and they are cutting off the slip that she's wearing and there's just something like so woof to use your words jenny mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. um 
how quickly the passage of time, I mean, the, pa- the the amount of time that has happened from when we were in Buffy's house and she was pulling down her skirt to the moment that she's on this um, table and then they are taking clothes off because clothes don't matter. Um, mm. Another another important theme in this act, um, clothes don't matter when you are a body. That, and, and so that's Oof. where we are. Oh, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, I just remembered I have to go. <laughs> Somebody... Somebody, I need one of those hooks to pull me off stage right now. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? The shepherd's cook? Uh, shepherd's crook? Crook. Hell yeah. <sighs> okay, so beautiful silence beginning this act as well. Um, they had these first two shots, right, of um, Xander and Anya in the car and Tara and Willow in their room. Nothing. You hear nothing. You hear like maybe like a whoosh of the car and that's it. Um, mm. And it's just like makes you take a breath. Um, fun fact from the commentary. This shot that is really <laughs> uh, beautiful. Is it a fun fact? <laughs> I'm just I kidding. No, I, I think it is because it's well. So Tara, um, this shot that, that lands on Tara, it comes like from the road through the window and up into Tara. Um, mm-hmm. And they shot that on the roof of the building. So they like faked the window and they faked the bookcase. Right. And um, <laughs> To get that shot. And the shot's important because they, you know, they're trying to convey to us, obviously, that everything's happening simultaneously. But I just thought it was fun yeah. um, that it was on the roof. And then, of course, we go into the room. Oh, man. Oh, as goes Willow, so goes our nation. What's the quote? <laughs> uh, basically that, I think. <laughs> I mean, we have talked how many years now about Willow and what she does to us. Even fucking Joss on the goddamn commentary is like, yeah, this is pretty much when nobody could fucking keep it together. So mm-hmm. this is the place where we all lost our collective shit. Um, Willow having, I don't know, for me, perhaps the most relatable experience right here where she's like black is too somber. Yellow is too cheery. Joyce liked my blue sweater, but I can't find my blue sweater. And this is undoing her. Um, I mean, obviously we all know that it is not the lack of the blue sweater that is undoing her, but it is her vehicle. We all, we all have our vehicles with, with loss Mm -hmm. and with sadness and, and this is Willow's and, Oh, Allison Hannigan. I can't like I'm not she's not even in front of me right now. And I can see her face so vividly crumpled and it murders me. I have to be supportive. Buffy needs me to be supportive. I mean, why do all of my shirts have done stupid things on them? Why can't I just dress like a grown up? Can I be a grown up? Darling, can't do this. We can do this. Oh my gosh, a lesbian kiss on screen. Uh, yep. First time, Guess Jenny. So. Feels Guess like so. the first time. Really interesting choice. Uh. Of course, to save this first time for an instance where it's not about it at all. Yes. 
if it's okay with you, Jenny, I'm, I would like to take us down a little bit of a um, history tunnel when it comes yes, to... Please. Yes, please. Yes. This is a phenomenon referred to as the lesbian kiss episode, um, which this is... The bucking. hell? This is, this is bucking the lesbian kiss episode. It is saying fuck you to the lesbian kiss episode. So let me tell you, um, this is uh, 2005, actually, the New York Times wrote an article about this lesbian kiss episode phenomenon. Uh, the article concluded that women kissing women is often used as a gimmick during sweeps periods. So like, you know, when Nielsen ratings are used to determine advertising rates. So the thing that that makes something a lesbian kiss episode is uh, eminently visual, cheap, controversial, uh, and elegantly reversible. So what that means is that sweeps lesbians typically vanish or go straight when the week is over. Like these are like disappearing. It's like we get the kiss and then that's it. It was just about the kiss. It was about the tantalizing nature of this thing. Um, Mm. Kisses between women are perfect sweeps stunts. They offer something, quote, for everyone um, from advocacy groups looking for role models to indignation seeking conservatives from goggle eyed male viewers to progressive female viewers from tyrants who demand psychological complexity to plot buff. So this is this ridiculous like um idea and it's but it's not ridiculous it's ridiculous because we're mad about it i didn't even think we were going to get a patriarchy jingle in this episode but it turns out look at us Mm -hmm. we did the patriarchy Life finds a way. Life always does find a way, doesn't it? Um, But so it's this idea that um, seeing two women kiss is fun. But as our hero, Marty Noxon, said in an interview once, you can show two girls kissing once, but you can't show them kissing twice because the second time it means that they liked it. Uh, Yeah, pretty nice from Marty. Uh, So I just wanted to tell you some of the um, television shows who have had an episode like this, a lesbian kiss episode. 1991, the first one that that, um, is on record that I found uh, was an episode of L.A. Law. Um, And these are all episodes where there is a quote, unquote, lesbian kiss where the character either goes back to being straight or just disappears. It was like a one, it was a one episode character. Uh, mm. 1993, Picket Fences. 1994, Roseanne. 1995, Deep Space Nine. 1998, Sex in the City. 1999, Party of Five. 2001, the year we're in with this episode, Friends. Um, and there, the, the list is very long. This is just a small selection, but these are all episodes of television that sort of used women kissing women as a way to make their ratings go up and where the kiss was um, overtly sexual in nature, right? And and what is so incredible about the fact that this is the first time that we see Willow and Tara kiss is it is, like you said, Jenny, it is not about the kiss at all. It is about the fact that they are a couple, that they love each other, that they are moving through sadness and loss and trauma together, and they are um, mm-hmm. supporting each other. And that's what the kiss is about. Oh, I have the chills. Bah, 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 bah. Um, yeah. You know, I know that we we all have uh, different feelings on um, Joss Whedon for different reasons, but I will say that um, according to all the things I read, this was the one time in the history of the show that Joss uh, threatened to quit the show if the network wouldn't air it because the network was basically like, we already have too many gay characters. Like, why do you need to put this kiss in this episode? And he was like, I will literally pack up my fucking shit and leave if you don't put it in air. Yeah. So like... 
you know, when you think about the body, I think for most of us, when we think about the body, we're not thinking about this piece of it, but this is a really big deal. It's such a big deal. Um, and I'm just like delighted by it. I'm so, I'm so proud to get to witness that. I'm so proud that this show that we are talking about, uh, did something like this. Uh, I think that it is so impactful. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Yep. It's really serious. It's really serious. Right? Um, Yeah. Speaking of serious, <laughs> Anya and Xander have arrived and we get a little bit more of seeing that Xander expresses upsetness by mm. getting testy. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, That's so he interesting, parts. Jenny. You just made me remember that scene where he's in the waiting room with Willow. Remember, mm -hmm, he's so mm -hmm. angry. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. you were, you were probably referencing that, but um, yeah, I, exactly. I exactly. like to spell it out for myself. So continue. No, that's that's <laughs> good. So Xander and Anya pull up, and there's no parking. They double park, and he says, "Are you coming up?" And Anya's like, "You're double parked," and he says, "Basically, fuck it. Mm -hmm. You know, let him give me a ticket," which they do. And <laughs> And they head upstairs, Ugh, this scene, right? Like everyone's so uncomfortable and none of them knows what to do with themselves. And Anya, classic Anya, is the only one who is willing to voice these questions and this uncertainty. And it's like met with such a strong negative reaction. Mm -hmm. Like nobody can believe that she like has the audacity to say these things. But I also feel like they're all wondering these things, you know? Right. Well, you know what's interesting is like hearing you say that, Jenny, uh, my, my, I guess, interpretation is not even that they know that they have those questions and they are deliberately suppressing them, but that for us, for most people, um, death is something that is like taboo to talk about. Like the, there yeah. are ways in which we are supposed to behave. So I don't even think that these questions necessarily occur to them in a conscious manner, which is why I think Willow is as angry as she is at Anya for asking them because it is right. just wrenching her out of um, what she has been taught for all these years. Right, right. And it's interesting, too, to see Xander get snippy with Tara when he says, yeah, like, we know where the morgue is. We do morgue time in the Scooby gang. Yeah. Like, Ouch. dude. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. And then Willow is snippy with Anya. They're like each snippy with each other's cross partner. And then the only way that Xander can get diffused is by Willow kind of coming back to her essential self and like mm -hmm. being her, adorable and uh, kind of like snapping him out of it. Putting her little fists up. Uh, yeah. It's like that Willow, you know, if you had to ask me for like a scene to encapsulate the love that Willow and Xander have for each other, it would pro might be this moment where Willow puts her little fists up and is like, come on, we'll, I'll help you. We'll go. And then Xander being like, I couldn't take you and kissing her on the forehead and just holding yeah. her. It is just, you know, you, you're seeing when you have like a childhood friend and they lose a parent, um, that is a very specific experience because you, they aren't your parent, but in a lot of ways they are, you have memories, right. um, that date back for a long time. And, and, you know, Willow and Xander share memories of each other's families from when they were little, little, but I do think that Joyce has become a mom figure for, um, all of them and um, they're experiencing that loss both through their love for Buffy and also their love 
for Joyce and the fact that Joyce is no more. Um, and it's just, it's mm. be- beautifully captured with Willow and Xander because I think of how far their friendship goes back. Yeah. Anya's asking questions, you know, like what's going to happen? Are we going to see the body? Are they going to cut the body open? Mm-hmm. And this, there's this like mounting tension as everyone is just like, what are you saying? Right. right? right. And it's interesting because Anya spent a thousand years killing so many people. And we assume being around so many dead bodies. Yeah, Uh, but she didn't stick around. Well, she didn't stick around and she also didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, that's it right there. But those two things in combination is um, what sets it apart from this experience. Cause you know, I, I think that she, what she doesn't understand is the mourning rituals of humans, uh, the grieving rituals of humans. And also she doesn't understand what she's feeling because she has never felt it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's this really incredible, um, exchange right before we get Anya's speech, which, you know, heads up, we're going to play it. So if you need to skip forward a little bit, you can, (laughs) um, but, um, Anya is asked these questions that you, you already talked about Jenny and Willow says, it's not okay for you to be asking these questions. And, um, I speak a little bit uh, about this with Jen in the interview that also went up uh, today, but this is sort of like. Anya is the most childlike of the bunch. And um, often, you know, these are questions that will come from children. Um, and the idea that there are questions that are inappropriate to ask is really troubling because, the, the, you know, these are really important questions. And for Anya, these are really, really important questions because she is just, and, and they refer to it in the commentary as a, as a plot twist for Anya, which I find interesting, um, but that we don't expect Anya to be sensitive, which it, in fact is where this is all coming from um so so let's go let's let's play this i think um perhaps one of the most memorable moments in the episode and um comes up for i think so many of us when we think about this episode let's hear um the magnificent emma caulfield as anya talking about why she's asking these questions but i don't understand i don't understand how this all happens how we go through this. I mean, I knew her and then she's, there's just a body and I don't understand why she just can't get back in it and not be dead anymore. It's stupid. It's mortal and stupid. And and Xander's crying and not talking and, and I was having fruit punch and I thought, well, Joyce will never have any more fruit punch ever and she'll never have eggs or yawn or brush her hair, not ever. And no one will explain to me why? Oof. Um, first of all, but Jenny, I, I don't know. You know, it's hard to know when you watch a series and then you watch it again. And perhaps in your case and in many of your cases again and then again and again and again, um, what you understand about the character, the second, third, fourth, fifth times through the viewing that is informing your watch. But to me, I like didn't, I didn't experience this as a plot twist with Anya. It didn't, didn't feel, um, surprising to me because I feel like from near to the beginning, I've been reading Anya's 
um, experience of the world as, you know, a, a demon who is now human experiencing things for the first time and genuinely trying to understand. So to me, it doesn't seem like a, a departure of any kind. It seems like an underlining of what was there in a, you know, much more grave situation. Yeah, I agree. Like Anya, similar to Spike, you know, has mm -hmm. this kind of emotional intelligence or emotional question. She's aspiring towards emotional intelligence. She's like a blank slate, yeah. you know, yeah, just trying to get a handle on things. And I, I think like it is a little surprising to see her questioning so tenderly. Mm hmm. Uh, about Joyce because I feel like we've seen her be very tender about Xander but we haven't seen her relating to other people or like seeming like protective or loving towards other people mm -hmm. besides Xander yeah that's true. now I that's think. true that's that's very true um you mentioned Spike uh Jenny and so I just do want to put a note in here that this episode um we see everyone and we do not see Spike and this is the first time I believe in uh since Spike became like a part of the Scooby gang in season four that uh, he's been absent from an episode. Um, we've seen him in every mm -hmm. episode since then. So um, that's notable and interesting. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about it as we move forward. But uh, just to put a put a pin in it. No Spike. Yes. Um, Xander punching right through the wall. Uh, <laughs> I love that <laughs> Anya says Xander decides he blames the wall. <laughs> Oh, it's great. This is great. It's a great encapsulation of the many ways in which we process things. And and Xander's is, is really, you know, I said I identify with uh, Willow here, but I, I, I think I identify with all of them in, in different aspects. And um, Xander really, you know, he, he says something like, I, I felt relief for a second. And Willow's like, oh, a whole second. <laughs> <It's nice. laughs> um, but he, he sort of you know, so much of this is like not being able to accept the reality uh, and, and not feeling like you're grounded, not feeling like you have two feet on the floor, not feeling like the walls are real, uh, not feeling like you are real. Everything feels so fucked up and there is something about punching a wall. I don't think Xander intended to punch right through it, um, but there's something <laughs> about punching a wall that is a physical reminder of your own existence uh, yep. and and the existence of the space around you being real. Um, and so I get it. Yeah. And Anya very practically points out that he could have punched an electrical thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which true, dude, be yeah. careful. And then I love this like little reality moment of uh, Xander like criticizing how poorly the the drywall has been. Yeah. And so then he's like, oh, who did the drywall in this place? And Willow's like, I always forget to ask. <laughs> uh, yeah. Great, great, um, great, great. And then, you know, we get this moment from Tara. And Tara, we all know because we've seen the episode, um, you, we will get the reveal um, in the next act of, of the fact that Tara has experienced loss like this um, directly. Uh, and so Tara, you know, for this whole scene is really, um, and, and cheer for Amber Benson because she's really giving us these eyes of understanding throughout this entire act of yeah. looking at each person, her beloved Willow um, and then Xander and Anya. Like she, she even looks at Willow and Willow is getting testy with Anya. Like, Ooh man, like give her space, give her space because Tara's really 
um, empathizing, I guess, with each response yeah. to this. Um, and she just looks at Xander and she says, it hurts, you know, and that it hurts mm -hmm. is felt on every level. It physically hurt you. And uh, that is because you emotionally are hurting. Um, and yeah. then we, we talked about this moment already, Jenny, but we get to this moment with Xander where he, he sort of, you know, him punching the wall, it also gives them all something to do. Uh, and <laughs> they need to get Xander's fucking hand out of the wall. And th there's nothing more. Okay. And I know that any of you can, uh, can attest to this when you are in a moment of trauma, there is nothing more wonderful than a simple fucking task that you need to complete. Uh, and, uh -huh. and so they're all just so excited like oh god thank god you put your fucking hand on this wall man because now we have we just need to get it out and um and xander has found his resolve to say we will help that's what we do we help yeah. Buffy. um yeah and then they round up to head out and we get uh two great beats one of willow dashing back in after everyone has left to mm -hmm. grab one more outfit change and then over out the window, Xander's getting a ticket yes. just as just minutes before uh, he'll be getting back to his car. What if, yes. Isn't that just the way? Isn't it just Murphy's Law, right? We, uh, um, that's everything that can go wrong will, will go, go wrong. wrong. So I guess it does yeah. apply. Um, um, I have the one thing I think that yeah. we missed is that when... Yes. Anya sits down in that Papazon chair. Hell yeah. I'm so glad that the word Papazon chair also made it into this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she, you know, she's like, oh, I'm sitting down and there's something like uh, bumpy underneath me or something. And she pulls out the blue sweater that Willow is so obviously looking for yep. and uh, tucks it into a drawer. And, and, and continues to yeah, and that Willow like, comes around to this place of like, I don't care. Like once she gets the next foothold, which is, okay, we need to leave. We need to go help Buffy. Like she's gotten past that initial, I don't know what to wear. And she's like, yeah, the sweater doesn't matter. It's yeah. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I want to say before we move into the final act um, here is just a really fun. And if, again, you know, for those of you who've watched the director's commentary, some of this will uh, be familiar to you, but, I, but for those of you who haven't, I don't want to, to rob you of some of these amazing little facts. Um, during the filming of this scene, Allison Hannigan had an allergic reaction so bad to what they think is the plaster from the wall that Xander had punched through mm -hmm. that she had to go to the fucking ER and get like a steroid <laughs> shot because her entire face blew up. So that's a nice oh, moment buddy. of levity for all of us journeying through this episode. Um, delightful. Delightful. So that is the third act. 21 by Sally Keith. Poem I wrote for my mother to say to me. Sweet child I made of fire, sweet child, little fire. Bedeck the world with angels and ladders. Little mirror, I give you my last ounce of breath. I give you my breath to be emptied of life. Here, little fire, here, here. Little fire, lift my hand to feel a body emptied of life. Lift my hand, little mirror. Little fire, sweet child, put flowers on top of the table. Little fire, light candles in churches and cathedrals. Fire catches, sweet child. Bedeck the world with angels and ladders. Climb, little fire, climb higher and higher. I made you like this, little mirror. 
Listen as the wind shifts. Listen to the smallest drops of water. Here we are at the start of the fourth act. The fourth and final act of the episode that we have been thinking about for years <laughs> since we began this podcast. So um, I am feeling uh, anticipatory relief uh, that we are three quarters of the way through. It's almost over. We almost did it. This is the act uh, referred to in that wiki article as the body. Um, and it starts um, again on Joyce. In the hospital, Dr. Cranks um, is here in the morgue. This is now, uh, we are to believe, post-autopsy because he's about to come out into the waiting room and tell um, Buffy at all that uh, this was a result of a brain aneurysm and it was mm -hmm. connected to the surgery um, and the tumor and all of that stuff. So we get this wonderful, beautiful, dim, long shot mm. of Dr. Cranks wrapping up in the autopsy zone mm -hmm. and, you know, walking through the sort of like labyrinthine hospital corridor. Made me think that perhaps when Faith was in the coma, they had put her in the morgue. Looked very similar to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Joss mentions in the commentary that he was watching Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson mm. film over and over and over again, right around when they made this episode. And I think that shows like these long shots. It's very PTA. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. if you've ever seen Magnolia or Boogie Nights or any of his many other wonderful films. Yeah. Did you just refer to him as PTA? That's right. Wow. Just didn't know you were on an initial only basis. Yeah, well, <laughs> me and PTA, you know how it is. Um, so we go into speaking of lighting. The lighting really, I mean, it's it's incredible in the whole episode. We haven't really talked about it, and I think it reaches its fucking crescendo in this last act because um, we have this like you know lighting you were talking about in the um, morgue and in the hallway, and then we have this like really stark lighting, you know, just every waiting room across a fucking America and maybe the world is lit with this, like, just, just if you weren't upset enough, like now you have to like see your own skin yellowed under the light of this bullshit <laughs> lighting. Um, so that's done really well in the waiting room. And, um, the lighting continues in this entire act to just be unreal. Um, we get the only time I think, I, I don't know, maybe it's the only like really obvious time we get it. Um, but these crossfades of, um, the passage of time as they all hug each other. Um, we see a moment between Willow and Buffy, which I think is really powerful. We see Tara and Dawn have a moment, which is really incredible. And then we get a, a brief a chuckle. Thank you so much, Anya. Um, when Anya sort of like bear hugs Giles, uh, which is really fun and sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is very sweet. Yeah. All the Scoobies together fucking assembling to do what they do. To do what they do. And, and you know, there's a lot of things that happen in this last quarter of the episode, but I think one is underlined right in this first moment where Dr. Cranks comes out and says what has happened and Dawn immediately says, can we see her? And Buffy says... It's not real for Dawn e yet. Exactly. And that's, that, that totally is not on Buffy's radar. And I'm not saying it should be. I mean, you know, Jesus. But, like, you know, Buffy has had this experience of seeing Joyce, of seeing the body, of having to move through all of this. Dawn has had none of that. Dawn just got told in school she hasn't seen anything. It does not seem real at all. 
to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned um, I'm, I'm with my parents. I'm staying with my parents. I've been here for about five weeks. Um, and my dad lost his mom um, at the same age, actually, as Buffy. He was 21 when his mom passed away. And um, we were having a conversation about, I don't know, probably just like masculinity. Listen, I am who I am. OK. Uh, and I learned that when my grandmother passed away, I never met her. Um, I was far from being born. Um, and I learned that when my grandmother passed away, my grandfather. So, you know, Italian, my dad's 100 percent Italian. My grandfather is first generation. My grandmother came over from Italy. Um, they had very strong opinions about who should and should not experience the reality of death. And so I learned this past week that when my grandmother passed away, my grandfather allowed my dad to be in the room, but my aunt, my dad is one of two, was not allowed to be in the room. Um, She was not allowed to be with my grandmother, her mother, as she died, Um, which was like staggering to me. I had never heard of this. I am near to 40 years old. The story was never told to me before. Um, And I just could not, I still cannot get over it. Um, And I guess I'm reminded of it in this moment because, you know, the difference in being able to understand loss, you know, that Buffy having seen it, my dad having seen it, uh, and Dawn and my aunt not having been able to get that, um, is, is measurable. So there's a little bit of, um, gender for you in an episode about death. You're welcome. Yeah. What a strange choice by my grandfather. Yeah. Well, but it, it isn't strange. It's like he, I mean, it is, but it, it, it's not for him. It wasn't for him because it was like a man, this is a man's job is to carry the burden of something as gruesome Mm. as the body. Right. But Mm. like, uh, so that it was like, it was almost like they were doing her a favor is how I think that, that uh, my grandfather probably viewed it, but you know, in a larger understanding of gender and how fucked up it all is like it's so it's like really really robbing my aunt of uh, an experience that likely could have helped her grieve her mother um but it just was not how the understanding was at that time at that time for my grandfather um having to do entirely with gender yeah yeah Mm. i know right it's a thing (laughs) (laughs) it's really a thing uh okay so One thing here uh, worth mentioning in the delivery of information and news to Buffy is that Dr. Krinks is saying, like, you know, it happened really fast. She, you know, probably didn't feel any pain. And Buffy's like, are you sure? And he's like, absolutely. And then the doctor's mouth keeps moving, as I'm sure he's saying something like nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what Buffy hears Mm -hmm. is... I have to lie to make you feel better. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's on the heels of another one of these f- quick fantasy montages of like her having gotten there soon enough and them all being happy in the hospital room because Joyce is fine and thank God. Um, and yeah. it's just, yeah, she's wrestling with guilt big time. Speaking of wrestling, she's going to be wrestling with a vampire soon, but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, um, there's also, I noticed some in-frame uh, filming equipment <laughs> in this waiting room scene. Oh. Uh it's on the left of the screen. It's just the symptom of, you know, like aspect ratio changing <laughs> when um, the show got reframed for Hulu and whatnot. Mm. Uh, it's uh, there's definitely something poking into the frame there. 
Um, yeah. And so, so Giles is, um, doing, uh, doing dad's work here. Um, oh, right. Giles. This is really, uh, uh, Giles is saying, you know, I'm an, I'll fill out, I'll take care of the forms, you know, I'll do this for her. And, and, you know, Dr. Cranks is like, well, we will need her to sign some stuff. And he's like very firm and gentle at the same time. Like, I will find what you need to do and only show you what you need to see and, and only ask that of you. And it's just, like again, hearkening back to the um, emotional side of grief, but then this practical side, and and what's so powerful, I think, about Giles's presence is that he, in this episode, shows up in an emotional capacity, and he also shows up in a practical capacity. He's really there to help Buffy with all of this. Good dad. Yeah. Good dad. Dawn's hatching a plan. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Don. Fucking Harriet the spy over here has to, and I air quote, pee. <laughs> um, she's on a one teen mission yeah. to find the morgue, which happens to be <laughs> right across from the bathroom. It's like one door is like women and the other door is like <laughs> authorized personnel only definitely no dead bodies this way turn back all ye like, who wish to enter here it's like the, there's like a, a sign on the women's bathroom with like a skirt stick figure and then there's a sign on the morgue door that's just a, a little face with two cross like eyes. a little coffin <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, can you hear? Um, this okay. is the this is the obvious laughter of people who are desperate to find a laugh. Like we're like, ha, yeah, ha, yeah, ha, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Dawn heads out on this mission. Anya, Xander, and Willow decide that they're going to go get snacks. I mean, Xander has spent his entire paycheck on the vending machine. <laughs> it's it's true. Has Buffy ever been alone with Tara before that we have seen? No, no, I really don't think so. Um, I I think nope. When she was alone with the, the only time I remember her being alone with Tara is when she was actually Faith. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Um, Tai. Yeah. Uh, you know what's um so interesting is that as soon as everyone has gone and it's just Buffy and Tara and we, we have this very beautiful straight on shot of them side by side talking but not looking at each other and Buffy says I'm sorry you have to go through all this Ugh, yeah so interesting but, but it, it makes and sense it's another one of those like it's almost the same moment as her wish wishing the paramedics saying good luck yes because right. you're just like you're you're like i guess i'm like i i my default is to be polite you know like these polite um things that we do in our everyday life and then when they're like put in the context of this you realize kind of how ridiculous they are <laughs> um yeah. but yeah and and she says to Tara I don't even know if I'm here which is such like a beautifully resonant sentence uh illustrating this like out of body shock experience um and she says, I've, I've never done this. And then is sort of like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, of course, obviously, I've never done this. But she opens up this door for Tara, essentially, um, which is good because Tara is horrible at opening doors, as we've learned in many episodes past. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, 
Wow. Sarah. Sarah uh, sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Now that we are allowed to laugh, man, I'm going for it. Um, no, no. It's I think you got to get it where you can. <laughs> but Tara says I have. And this is uh, a reveal, you know, of, of right. the fact that Tara has experienced loss. Um, and is it the same as Buffy's loss? Of course not. But is it loss? Indeed it is. And it gives her this connection to Buffy that is Mm -hmm. probably one of the more important lifelines that Buffy gets in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Tara's mom died when she was 17. And one of my favorite, like one of the things that I think of when I think of this episode is this exchange when Buffy says, was it sudden? And Tara says, no. Mm -hmm. And yes. Mm -hmm. Because how could it not be? (laughs) Like no matter how much you see it coming, how could this incredibly important figure in your life ceasing to exist not feel sudden in some way totally totally and you know i've been obviously we're we're taping this episode at a really overwhelming time um because we are going through like this global experience of loss and panic and you know complete life shifting um experiences and um one of the it's it's been so treacherous to walk towards it because I mean, this is so absolutely morbid, but also so completely uh, accurate. Jenny and I both were in positions where we were like, are we going to lose people before we tape this episode? Like, where will we be? And like, where will our listeners be? Like, where will we all be? And how do we do this? Um, And, you know, one of the things that I, the, the reason that I'm bringing this up and that it brought up in my mind, Jenny, when you said what you said was because my grandmother is sick and um today as of this taping she's having a really good day but she's had some really bad oh, days oh yeah yeah she's had a really good day today but she's had some really really bad days um over the past week and um you know really ironically I, as i've been like expo- <laughs> as i've been exploring this episode which is about the body i have also been navigating my mom um being afraid of losing her mom and not being able to be physically with her mm. right this like distance and like that lack have you um and my mom has said you know in in a few of our conversations like that she feels in ways that she's already mourning her uh already mourning her loss even though like there's Uh, you know we don't we don't know that we're going to lose my grandmother but she is 94 years old and and um and I haven't really even had this exchange with my mom directly but like I'm it's just there's something so staggering about me listening to my mom talk about how she's attempting to mourn and grieve now because that's your like body sort of trying to prepare itself and me knowing that I had mourned her, my own mother. Um, hmm. But I know on the other side of that, that I didn't lose her and that there is something, this is a very long-winded way of saying, um, that there is something different between when you think you are preparing and when it actually is real. That is a distinct divide. Um, and and that hmm. is, um, you know, tying back to Tara saying, was it sudden? No, but is it always sudden? Yes. Can you ever be prepared for the reality that is a death that is lost like that? No, you can't. Mm. Um, so anyhow, um, I, I, I think that this, you know, it's like the scene, the monologue from Anya, the, scene we get here between Tara and Buffy the the, there's just so many touchstones in this episode which is why it's as stunning as it is it's not about like well this is a really good episode and boy what about that one scene you know it's like every fucking moment of this is 
packed with emotion and also so call back to act three, like packed with the space for us to also fill in our own experiences. So like, thank you. And also fuck you, you know, <laughs> huh. uh, I do know. <laughs> I really do. Man. Oh man. Oh man. You know, that thing when you're just a teen and your mom has just died. Yeah. You're like, you I'm just a little teen her. giant. To you're like, Prove it. Yeah. Um. What? Uh, I'm sorry. I was just singing Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy, but trying to fill it in with words about. Wow. Okay. Listen, okay. You know what? It's been a long ride. Okay. So, no, I know. I know. I know. So, yes, I do. You just want to go into the morgue because you just want to understand the reality. Um, and that, and yeah, we've said that, right? Or maybe, I don't know, but I think we've, we've at least um, made mention of it that like the difference between these two, John and Buffy, is that one, for one, it is all too real. And for the other, it is not real at all. Yeah. And she finds her way to a joist-shaped covering. Yeah. And is standing there thinking about pulling the sheet down or whatever, but oh no, in the background, <laughs> it's a morgue pyre uh, <laughs> ready to attack. I just hate when I'm trying to prove that one of my loved ones has just died and then I get interrupted by the unholy undead. And you know, what's really something about the scene is like so much of this episode is so quiet and kind of all we hear is just like footstep, footstep. And, and this body, the body of this vampire has been made up to like really look like it's, you know. It's pretty dead. Been dead. Pretty fucking you know? dead, yeah. And naked, of course, because morgue. And so this vampire attacks Dawn and we hate it. Oh, right. It's really rough. But but I also like I personally love it. Like I love the fact that we... I don't remember if this is from the commentary or from an article I read or whatever, but essentially the idea that like life continues to go on. And in the first act, the way that that appears to us is like sunlight and noises and wind chimes, but like also life going on for this group of people means vampires. Like we're still on the fucking hellmouth, and it doesn't matter that your own mother has just died of natural causes because you're still, Hey, you're still here. Still fucking vampires. Um, and and I, I just think that's really powerful. And I and I think that it's nice to also feel like uh we are in an episode. Like I think it's a relief to feel like we're in an episode of Buffy a little bit the of Vampire. Normalcy. Yeah, like uh well, it's also nice to see, you know, that we get this reminder that Buffy fights death in a way every single day of her life. Yeah. And even though there is absolutely nothing that she can do to win the fight against death where her mother is concerned. She can still do her work mm -hmm. and protect people and kill vampires. Yeah. And or death in her way. You know, I think, too, that there's something about the fact that this is a show. And if it wasn't in the clip that we put in the episode with Jen, you will hear Jen and I talk about this a little bit more in the larger interview. But that we've seen so many deaths in this show in five seasons, um, but most of them do not matter, I believe is, is what Jen says. And um, right. th there's something about the way that this vampire is being fought and also the fucking way he's killed 
that is so different than the way that we usually see vamps dusted. And also that like you can see, well, I can see as the viewer interpreting um, Buffy's eyes after she kills the vampire, sort of like registering like this is what I do, but also this is different. You know, like this vampire is just like every other vampire I've ever killed. And yet now I'm like recognizing the difference in these deaths in contrast with this death, my mother. Mm. Could definitely do without the like surgical saw beheading, but I understand why it's there. <laughs> Brutal. Ooh, rough. Real Disgusting. rough. Thank, thank God a dust is what happens after a vampire is beheaded because I was ready to uh, yeah. not think about that anymore but unfortunately after the floor is covered in morgue pyre dust there is (laughs) this ending moment and a stunning shot like fucking breathtaking shot of Buffy in the background Dawn in sort of the middle first she's in the foreground then she becomes in the middle ground as we go to the other side of the table where Joyce is Uh, or I should say the body is, and we see the three of them in one shot. It is like, even describing it makes me have the chills in a bad way. Yeah. They have this exchange, right? Where Dawn says, is she cold? And Buffy says, it's not her. She's gone. And Dawn says, where'd she go? Mm. And then Dawn's reaching and reaching and almost touches Joyce, but does not right and this is an um even jen in our interview talks about this but it's sort of like a common conversation that at the time of viewing this a lot of people who had watched it thought that the ending was intended to be a signal because you know don't forget dawn is the key she is mystical she is magical and 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 a lot of people apparently thought like oh this ending is to signal to us that um dawn's gonna bring joyce back um Right. Which makes sense. Like that, that that interpretation totally makes sense because it is hard to be yanked out of the universe that you're normally in. Uh, all of our minds want to just be like, okay, so that was woof, but we're going back to like, it's okay, right? Uh, and, you know, the, the real reason for this, as, you know, Joss says, is that he wanted to underline the fact that there is nothing there, right? that like we want to be able to touch this. We want to be able to understand it. We want to be able to make something of it. But the fact of the matter is that it, it is what it is. And, and that person is not there anymore. As much as, you know, the sort of focus of this episode was not to, and and Josh talks about this, right? Like this was not, I didn't make this episode to um, give catharsis. Like I, I, I made the episode to like show that there isn't anything and blah, 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 blah. It's like, I, I was thinking right. so much about that because the, the truth of the matter is that, yes, if you were Buffy um, or Dawn or one of the Scoobies or what have you in this episode, you might have gone from the beginning of this episode to the end of this episode and not taken anything from it, right? There, the, I do believe that it is possible and, and common to experience this without you being able to find any deeper meaning. But the truth of it is that we are not actually in the episode. We are watching the episode, which means that catharsis is implied because you're if something is powerfully illustrating experiences that you either have had or that you know you will have you are 
finding company. And so even though like, I understand that the intentionality of this episode was not to like, you know, give us something, screw you, Joss, <laughs> we got some, we, I still think we get something because what do we have as humans except for the ability to share experiences like that, that is it. And that is when things are at their darkest, you know, the, the best thing that you can have is Tara is somebody who says like, I know you, you, you can't have somebody who's saying it's going to be okay. You can't have somebody who's saying like this or that or the other thing you need to have, um, a witness, a mirror, whatever you want to call it. You need to have the understanding that you aren't alone in your experience. And so that is why I find this episode so powerful and why, you know, Jenny and I have had, if you follow us on social media, you, you may know, um, you know, ongoing conversations about this episode, especially in the climate that we're in. How do we do this? Will we be able to ha help people? Will we be hurting people? What's going to happen? And I think that like, you know, where we landed was in this place of, we have gone through so much. We started this podcast at the end of 2015. Uh, you know, Jenny and I have gone through so much personally. We have collectively gone through so much politically. And this show has mm -hmm. always, always acted as a vehicle to come together. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that this episode is there for us to be able to see that our experiences are not singular. And I hope that this podcast is here for us to connect to each other, to remind each other that what we're experiencing right now is not singular. Uh, end monologue. <laughs> I'm so, and now it's time for the sexual tension award. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it wasn't already clear to you, some of you have uh, asked us about the sexual tension awards and some of you have written in very sarcastically laughing at us that we would have to do sexual tension awards in this episode. But um, you perhaps forgot that we are all powerful and long ago decided. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, Absolutely not. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, this episode is not getting the sexual tension awards because we are not fucking monsters. Um, yeah. but, uh, oh, I don't know. I saw a lot of chemistry between that vomit and that very absorbent <laughs> paper towel. Why don't we just give it, we'll hand it out to Kevin and Dawn. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. They can, they had some, we'll take, they'll take it. We'll give it to them by power of attorney. What do you, I don't know how the law works. Okay. <laughs> I think it's podcast of attorney. Okay. Um, this is, you know, last week we did a mailbag, um, and I'm sure a lot of you will have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I do want to say, too, so many of you have written us emails about this episode for years, um, talking about how powerful it is to you, how much you connect it to your own experiences, your own losses. Um, our hope is that you find each other, you know, to talk about those things now and connect with each other and, you know, find each other on social media or what have you to have conversations if you need to. Um, Jenny? Yes. Do you think it's time for us to tell them who we are and then howl out and then play a song that will probably yes. make them feel more feelings? Do you think that's yes. where we are? Great. Well, hey, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not being devastated by Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> I am often found writing and recording hot, hot jams. You can learn more about me and hear some of those songs over at JennyOwenYoungs.com. You can give me a shout on Twitter at Jenny Owen Youngs. 
I have a new EP that came out in November that I love so much that you give a listen to on all the digital platforms you're familiar with. You could also hear me talk at length about another petite blonde protagonist over on Veronica Mars Investigations, the podcast. Uh, I am Kristen Russo, and uh, when I am not being dragged through my own emotional minefield of experience by this television show, uh, I can be found, you know, helping queer communities uh, and also doing a fun new Patreon-only podcast with Joanna Robinson, where I'm watching films for the first time. Uh, Tonight, actually, uh, right after talking about The Body, I'm watching Prometheus tonight. So, you know, I don't know if anyone ever has watched The Body twice twice and then Prometheus in one day but that's (laughs) oh god Prometheus do you have to I have to it's Joanna's pick uh not for quality Mm. but for um me seeing where the universe went so okay all right yeah I guess so um anyhow you can find uh more about me on my website kristinnoline.com that's k-r-i-s-t-i-n-n-o-e-l-i-n-e and um that is also the spelling of my twitter and instagram handle where you can learn about my adventures living with my parents in upstate new york with my two cats (laughs) during this pandemic um you can learn more about the podcast on our Patreon. Um, Jenny, where do they find what the hell? Where do they where, where do they find us? Buffering the Vampire Slayer, as I always say at this juncture in the outro, <laughs> is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. You can email us at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 21630-BUFFY. Hell yes. And I'm um, sorry, Jenny, it's just like, you know, they changed the format of the episode, so I didn't know how deep we were changing sure, ours. Sure, sure, sure. Um, if you want to support us and the work we do, we would love that. You can, in fact. Um, you can go to our website, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Dot com. Uh, you can join our Patreon, which is found on that website. You can go to our store. We have a United States-based store, and we also have a UK-EU store that ships overseas for lower rates. Um, you can find all of that, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Also, you know, uh, we were just featured in this wonderful article in The Guardian, uh, along with Joanna ah! Robinson and Joanna Robinson's work, because there's a new podcast about The Sopranos, uh, and we were talking about some of the stuff over there. So that's fun. We'll put that up on social media. And thank you to The Guardian for including us. Hell yeah. Um, and I think, Jenny, let us howl out. I am. I have never been more excited to howl out uh, because I'm so <laughs> proud of us. Back. I'm so proud of us. I I promise you I will never watch The Body ever again. I've watched 57 <laughs> fucking times in the last few months. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's a lie. I probably will watch it again. But, <clears throat> well, till next time. Uh, uh,
Hey folks, I'm Yen. And I'm Nat. And we're the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. Comic Sans is a show for people who know nothing about comics, like me. And people who love them, like me, and want to learn more about them. What makes you an authority on comic books? I read them, write them, live them, breathe them. What makes you the authority on knowing nothing? Honestly, Yen, two seasons in, I actually know a little more than I used to. You're welcome. The reason for that is that every episode, I make Nat read one of my favorite comics, like Daredevil Saga or This One Summer. And then he tells me what makes that comic so special. And then I hear what Nat thinks, and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. You can listen to the second season of Comic Sans now. With new episodes every two weeks. Wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Yen, I think I know so much about comics now that this might have to be our last season. Nat, there will forever be more comic than you will ever know. What does that even mean? I don't know, it sounds profound though. Right?